This is Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, the channelnomics podcast that connects you with channel chiefs, thought leaders, and executives about what it takes to get the next generation of tech to market. Here's your host, Larry Walsh, the CEO and Chief Analyst of Channelnomics. Hey, thanks everyone for joining again. As I said, I'm Larry Walsh, your host, and, and we've got a great episode for you today. Um, I guess the best way I can describe what we're going to be doing today is talking about this ongoing theme of change. Uh, there's a lot of change coming at everyone, and the speed of challenges and opportunities is just accelerating. So how do we manage change effectively is a theme that we're going to be returning to a few times. From my perspective, I can tell you, I think the best way of dealing with change is having or being armed with a ample amount of information. Uh, and that's one of the things I wanted to just start off by mentioning is that information is one of the things that we do here at Channelnomics. And we recently released our annual Channel Chief Outlook and our Channel Forecast. And these are our annual measures of what happened in the previous year on the channel and what we see going forward. A few things to just take note of is that there's a lot of good news despite everything and all the jokes we could tell uh, about 2020 being it's the worst year ever, which I would say worst year ever yet. Um, but truth is, is that if you look at the data that we've generated is that it's a lot of good news. Uh, the channel chiefs and the channel professionals out there, they see a lot of optimism. And in fact, data would, sit, would show if we didn't know there was a pandemic and all the economic disruption, you wouldn't even know by looking at the data anything happened. That's the level of optimism that's coming out, although there's a bit of caution in it. The good news is channel budgets are increasing, so more money being invested in sales and marketing and enablement. Uh, a lot of interest in automation, a lot of interest in driving more uh, driving more uh, interest in marketing and driving more marketing resources. And the partners in particular have to say, partners are returning to a more optimistic, uh, optimistic footing. However, we can tell you is that they did feel the impact of 2020 heavily. Uh, there's a lot in these reports. So please go to channelnomics.com, check them out. You can find them all there. Um, and we're gonna talk about a bit more about, about some of this and the theme of things that have changed. Uh, with our guest today, joining us from San Francisco, my friend, my colleague, uh, Megan Sullivan, the Global VP of Ecosystem Marketing at SAP. Megan, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Larry. It's great to be here again. You know, I should preface our conversation by saying is that you and I started this conversation almost a year ago as we were going into, uh, into the pandemic, right? And so, it's, it's, again, thrilled to have you back to talk about not so much, you know, we did learn some lessons, but also things that we are going to be taking forward. I do want to ask one thing though, to start off, you know, you are joining us from San Francisco. Is there anyone left there? And did you miss out on the exodus? There are a lot of companies that have left San Francisco. I might be the only one left, but parking is so much easier now. So it's all good. Oh, you know what? I'm looking forward to no traffic. That would be a nice change in San Francisco. Um, but you've also had been through a fair amount of change since we last did this. In fact, I believe, Ed, Ed, could we pull up an image of part of this change in Megan's life? Oh, there it is. So uh, who is this fine young gentleman? 
well, this fine young gentleman is my COVID baby. He's an Ashton and it had him literally in the middle of the pandemic. So, uh, you know, the pandemic and COVID actually brought a lot of, a lot of blessings and happiness for me. So, um, yeah, talk about change. I've been in the, the midst of all of it, but you know, lots of, lots of good things happened last year too, personally, anyways. That's amazing. I, you know, that must've been a really interesting, uh, transition of going through because I remember you were you were pregnant last spring going into this and then you had to manage all the every all the disruptions while going through the maternity process so kudos to you thank you yeah it was uh it was an interesting time but I guess if you have to be in lockdown you know you might as well do it with something super cute like that right you know <laughs> and just talking about some of this change a little bit I also hear that you've taken up a new hobby I have. Yeah, I have taken up cycling in all of this. So uh, I, I like to get out and ride my bike all around the Golden Gate Bridge and through the Presidio and the headlands. And it's been it's been fantastic. You know, the my my favorite part of biking the Golden Gate Bridge is the downhill ride in the Sausalito. Well, yes, I, that is epic. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> epic is a really good way. I was going to say, oh, wait, we can't use profanity on here. So I was going to say scared. We'll leave the other part out, right? It is yeah. it is truly a little nerve wracking the first time you do it. You know, I, I don't mean to labor this entire line about about change, but you know, we are talking about, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you back is because you and I had a, a really uh, thoughtful is one way of describing it, but it was almost scary too, the last time we had this conversation about change in that it was going, we were going into the lockdowns last March and April. We really didn't know what was going to happen. And you were the first one to step up and say, they're taking away our favorite weapons, face-to-face -face meetings and events. Mm -hmm. So uh, why don't we just start there? Um, and in fact, before we do that, I do want to, you know, Ed, if we could bring up one more thing, because I do want to show this, because speaking of, because this was a fun time you and I did have, you know, remember, this is oh, us in been the last face-to-face -face event that I was at with you. Yeah, so it may have been, is that this one we did, we did a wine tasting event in Napa with our partners, uh, 360 Insight and, and Stephen Kellum. Um, but I do, you know, we were, we were lamenting about that is yes. that we're not going to be able to do that so what comes after that what did you learn what did those fears materialize did those losing those weapons did you feel them well i it's interesting larry i, I was trying to think last time we talked and i believe it was in march i mean it was right when this yeah. hit yeah it was. And all of the companies were making the big decisions about canceling their big events and sap had not yet pulled the trigger on canceling sapphire um, but we kind of knew that was coming but it was, it was a very interesting time of transformation kind of as a marketing organization because those events drive so much revenue and an opportunity for us to get with customers and do demand gen. And it was very scary going into that saying, okay, how are we going to fill that pipeline with the absence of all that, you know, the face-to-face the face -face event. So it's been a huge transformation. We've learned a lot in the last 12 months as I'm sure, you know, the entire industry has. Um, but so many good things too has come out of the change too, I believe, and, and you know, forcing that digital transformation to go faster than it would have, you know, originally gone. So, you know, all so, silver linings, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, look, it's worth noting though, because as we discussed, and, I, and you weren't the only ones, there was a lot out there, 
a lot of people out there that were going, well, how are we going to keep, in fact, you were the, the first one to say it to me, which was, how are we going to keep the pipeline full yeah. if we're not able to touch people? Mm-hmm. If we're not able to reach, okay, I shouldn't say touch people, I mean, reach out to people, uh, be able to have that human connection. How did you maintain that connection? How did SAP and its partners manage that transition? So I, I, I would say it was like a, a multi-touch if we want to stay on that theme. It was a multi-engagement model of how we do that. Some of it was you know, virtual events, pre-taped on demand. Other was live streaming. Um, there was a trend for the for a while there, as you recall, of you know bring on a celebrity, an entertainment person for you know 15 minutes and have them you know entertain their audience. We saw our partners get super creative um, in what they were doing with um, kind of live events or engagement models out in the field as well. So I think we learned a lot through it. You know, some worked, some didn't, but uh, you know, really interesting to see so many different types of things going on. Okay, so let's 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 tag on that because. I really like to hear what didn't work because I saw a lot over the last 12 months, a lot of experimentation, a lot of uncomfortable people. Yes. Um, so what didn't work? Well, I'd say, you know, you know, trying to take a one or two day meeting that was you know, our huge tech conference and, you know, for any company, by the way, this just isn't SAP specific, but I saw a lot of companies try and take big, long conferences and do the same thing online, like a whole day conference or whole two days online. That doesn't work. Um, content was king. Engagement was king. You know, how do you get more exciting? How do you hold your audience? And I think what wasn't working just as an industry is so many of so much of our audience, they're going to a lot of tech conferences, a lot of vendor conferences, and all of us competing for their time at the same time with kind of the same models and everything that was tough, right? So um, the companies that could get the most creative with the best engagement were the ones that kind of won in that in that model. Yeah, I remember during one, like, I think it was a three day virtual event, I had like five strangers come to my house and smoke in the living room. So I could remember what it's like to walk through a Vegas casino. I mean, you have to have the full experience. So, you know, it is it is amazing, though, that there was a we did learn that we don't have to replicate our previous reality, right? Um, that's one of the things that and I think that we've gotten to the point of we we've calling it zoom fatigue. But right. is it really Zoom fatigue as much as it, you know, we have to adjust ourselves, right? But I think in the other extreme, you know, a lot of companies benefited in T&E expenses, right? So now you cut travel and entertainment. Um, those are big ticket items, especially for the really large companies, right? And is that travel all really necessary? Do people really need to, you know, do one, does 100% of your staff need to be in the office? Do you always have to have in-person events? I think we learned the answer was no. And there's, you know, there's a balance of those two. So a lot of cost savings in one side, you know, that vents in cost saving. And so how do you put those into kind of more meaningful investments? So since you brought it up, I'm curious about this. Since you, you do run events or you have run events and, in, in, you know, until recently, and you will again, eventually, I'm sure. How do you account for that T&A expense that's not necessarily pegged directly to the event expense? And is, is it, is it that noticeable? I mean, I'm sure it is somewhere, but do you register it as a marketing professional? Uh, we don't register it kind of in our program dollars because it's, you know, it's a different line item in accounting, but as a company, we can certainly benefit from that, you know, as a whole, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a, it's a convert, you know, it's an interesting side conversation that I've been having lately because people have been coming to us asking about sales capacity and whether or not they need to increase inside sales to compensate for this. 
and the pushback that they're getting. And I've just had to say to them, I go, of course, you're getting pushback because these people who are used to being on the road, that's their life. Right. You know, that's, you know, having the company pay for their, their Michelin dinner. That's a, that's a pretty big loss for them. And I have talked to, in fairness, I've talked to a lot of people, especially salespeople and those road warriors. Yeah. They're having a really hard time not being out there, Um, you know, really engaging and, you know, being stuck in their homes and, um, I think it's a lot harder than than we give it credit for, right? So I want to be sensitive to that too. So there, you know, there is there's definitely a good side that you know, cutting down expenses and doing that, but there is an emotional and a mental health side that's kind of tough too for those people that aren't out there as much anymore. And I recognize that as well. Yeah. So what do you think, you know, looking forward, because I think we do need to to look forward more, is is what are we going to continue to doing? Because there's a some are grudgingly accepting this, some are more willingly accepting that we're not going to revert back to a pre-COVID state. It's not everything, you know, and I hate using terms like new normal, um, but they're not, you know, even the new normal is going to look different. Right. So what is it that you see changing permanently and what's going to be adapted? Well, I think there's, I think it's a balance. We're never going to get rid of live events and the need for people to be in person and networking and the value of business transactions that you get when you're at a conference and being able to get engaged with people, you know, in the hallways or, you know, in the bars or in between sessions or whatever. I think that that is really highly valuable. Um, Customer touch, especially when you have, you know, big deals and big engagements. I think those are also super important to be in person. I think what changes though, is that, you know, the frequency of those probably changes. Um, I think there is more online and you know, more, more uh, you know, appetite to have online too. And people are doing a better job with kind of creatively engaging. And that is, you know, a way to effectively meet as well. So it's going to be the balance between the two. I think the bigger question becomes, you know, when are we able to get in person again? And I've talked to several, you know, large tech companies, even small tech companies that are saying, you know, not this year, even, you know, it might even be next year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see when, when all that kind of settles in. Yeah. What do you think, you know, what are you doing to cut through the competition? And I mean by competition, not your, your market competitors, your, your product competitors, but the competition for attention. Yeah. You know, one of the things we've seen is an explosion in, in communication. Cause now we have time, we have people who are individual creators, content creators, there's a lot of messaging going on. What is, what is an effective strategy for cutting through that, that high signal to noise? Crisp, <laughs> fast, nuggets of information, right? Just, just what they need, snackable content, you know, really yeah. fast. Um, video is great that they can, you know, watch it another time on demand. I think all of that is, is great. Um, to your point though, I think people are just tired of getting called to meetings and having, you know, meetings upon meetings and more Zoom meetings and, even on the, when we try and do something personal, you know, to engage, whether it's like a virtual wine tasting or get together for a virtual cooking class, people are a little bit tired of that too, to be honest. And I think what people really want is just time back, time back to get off their computers and laptops and actually get some work done. So I think it's a gift of time for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, I'm sure that's a partner calling. It Uh, is. I got to do the deal, Larry. (laughs) <laughs> so the, I, I, I hear what you're saying about time, but we are, this is a, this is a constant. 
And one of the things that partners say is that the phone ringing, inbound phone to the calls to them from vendors trying to get their attention, it was constant before. Yes. It will be constant going forward. How do we, you know, as an industry, moderate that so we can, you know, we can allow the partners to do the things that we need them to do and in, in being effective ambassadors of brands and products? I mean, you make a great point. It's all going to be about efficiencies. And, you know, to your point, how often do we call? How do we consolidate all that, those messaging of those topics together and do it less, but more effectively and more efficiently? Um, because no partner wants to be, you know, or anyone, nobody wants to be bombarded with, you know, meetings from different departments and different people every day, or even the same company with lots of different, you know, areas. So we've got to do a much better job collaborating amongst ourselves and collaborating as an ecosystem to take those messages out you know, one time versus many. Yeah. What's your, what's your new favorite, your new favorite tool for getting out there? What's the thing that you're using more now and you're planning to continue to use that you didn't have before? I'd say that there's a lot of work and creativity going on with uh, virtual studios in home and the equipment that we're sending out to our employees so that they can set, you know, the green screen and the lighting and the teleprompter up, you know, in their own homes to be more effective as they communicate out. So we're doing some investments to um, certain people within the company to have that set up at home, which has been great. Yeah. And training, by the way, on, you know, better ways to be virtual and be more engaging and more creative. For sure. By the way, by the way, your virtual background is amazing. It's thank you. It's simply stunning. Yeah, my dog might walk by in a minute, so enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find it, you know one of the things that we I've noticed and look, it comes up in our in channelomics research all the time. Um, partners will say that they want to do more marketing. Um, and uh, no offense to the partner community, but this has historically been one of their weakest areas, that yes. they're not very good at marketing, they're not very consistent at it. But have they tapped into your resources and looked to you more for support? And do you yeah. think that that is a sustainable trend? Um, they have, you know, it's been interesting because I think the pandemic has accelerated marketing in some ways for a lot of these partners where to your point, it wasn't a big investment or they didn't have a lot of employees before. Now they're either hiring that area and or leveraging our assets or our services to do that. Um, so we do, we've got a lot of offerings where we will, you know, we've got packages where we will send out a home studio to you, you know, to a partner with the cameras and the lighting and the teleprompters and everything so that they can create their own video. We're doing a lot more training now on how to, you know, create, you know, virtual events and virtual podcasts and webinars and things like that. Um, so we are seeing the investments go up in the marketing area to do things like that and around, you know, demand generation and, and uh, you know, how you do different engagement types now. Yeah. Do you find that these changes are, are producing more or better leads or creating more opportunities? Is the customers responsive to all this? They are. And it's interesting, you know, especially say in the, in the mid market, as an example, you know, with, I know we've talked about it for years, so it's kind of a tired phrase, but you know, the customer journey and digital marketing, all that kind of stuff. There are a lot of ways that consumers are finding out about products before they even find the partner or the vendor. And mm -hmm. so with our partners being able to take on some of these new tactics and tools and ways of doing demand gen, they're actually out there to cap, you know, able to capture consumers much earlier in the process and bring them back in as a lead. Where in the past, you know, that customer may never even have heard of, you know, a part, the partner or the vendor for that. So we're seeing a lot more effective, um, you know, upstream things going on. That's that's great to hear. You know, but the reason why I even asked that is because 
we've been also hearing this push for a while um, about partners needing to transform their businesses. They need to evolve their capabilities. And it's still one of these areas, marketing and their own conveyance of value propositions, their own um, capture of new opportunities has always still fallen behind. I, I do want to ask about this because SAP has announced this new initiative, RISE, uh, transformation you know, in, in which they talk, you talk about this new offering transformation as a service. Before we I dive into a little bit behind that, what, can you tell us a little bit more about what this, what this is, this transformation as a service that you're bringing to customers and partners? So RISE is, is you know, a whole new way that SAP is going to be doing business. And you're right, it is about transformation. It's about the ecosystem coming together with SAP and bringing new technologies to market for enterprises to you know, be much more efficient and fully go to cloud. Um, it's exciting for my organization personally because you know, the ecosystem becomes front and center now in the SAP strategy. Never been more important for us to be able to you know, have our reach and the depth and the breadth with that, you know, that vast ecosystem. So um, bright days ahead for us as we, as we roll that out further. So this is just a, you know, I, I hear different answers to this question and I'm just curious from your perspective, what makes transformation so difficult? Because it's, it's easy to talk about. We can all witness transformation in the wild. But what, well, what makes yeah. it hard that you need to create something as a service and, you know, and try to convince others that, you know, that they need to do it or have somebody do it for them? Well, we go back to the original purpose of this whole podcast, right? Change. Change yeah. is really, really hard, especially, you know, the bigger organization you get, the harder that change is going to be, certainly. You know, new processes, new procedures, new tools, new tactics, new ways of doing things. It takes a while to get that kind of shift moving, um, you know, in change and direction. So you're absolutely right. Those partners that are more nimble and, and will jump on that train sooner and they're willing to take bigger risk and go with us on that are going to be the ones out of the gate that will get there faster. And as you know, come on, even as an industry, as we talk about digital transformation and cloud, I mean, remember utility-based computing, you know, back in the day, it, this is, this. This has been around for, you know, SaaS and SaaS models have been around for a long time. So, um, yeah. you know, this is just, you know, the, the next generation of where we're headed in this journey. You know, one of the things I was, I was watching the Rise event where all this was being announced. And, you know, I thought it was great. You know, SAP's uh, CEO, Christian Klein, called out the importance of the ecosystem and the partners to this transformation process and driving this, this change going forward. And in fact, um, Carl uh, Farbach, your chief uh, chief channel officer. Yes. Oh, here he is. There he is. Uh, yeah, he talks about this all the time. In the the importance of partners to you know to the SAP community and the SAP uh, value proposition. Tell us a little bit about what is where do the partners in your ecosystem not, not you know your ISV partners and your technology partners your resellers where do you, where do they fit into this transformation vision? So this is all where it becomes very cool, right? So we've got this great set of SAP core products, you know, in the center. Now you take this ecosystem of partners and they lay their IP on top of that and create different technologies to, for that value add, which is great. The next layer up, now they can take all of their customization, you know, whether they're in country and know all the government regulations, all the localization, you know, and it, LOB specific, you know, expertise. They are, the, our ecosystem is to be able to create, develop, and push products out to market that SAP can't do on our own. 
And that's where this becomes so powerful in, in being able to leverage the ecosystem to get out there together. Yeah. So Meg, I'm going to ask you a potentially a loaded question, but you know, what the hell do you think? Cause again, I, I've grown tired even hearing people talk about, you know, transform or die. And it's like, it's, it's yeah. it, it becomes almost hyperbolic uh, when you hear it as often as we have. But do you think the experience that we had, you know, over the past year has made this the right time for something like a transformation as a service, this guided journey that you and your partners are going to be taking end customers on? Well, I, I believe the last year has certainly accelerated the rate of change and the rate of transformation for sure. Um, and I think people now are going to be, you know, again, more of an appetite to try new things and do things differently than they have in the past. We've been forced to do that. It's been kind of a forcing, forcing function over the last 12 months or so. But, you know, I do think that so many companies, to your point earlier, have seen the silver linings and the benefits. And as we're kind of climbing out of the ickiness of everything that happened. To your point, there are still a lot of positive things that came out of it. There's a ton of growth. I mean, look at the stock market. It's, you know, maybe that's not a great example because it's inflated kind of beyond reality. So, but, so wait, what you're saying, Megan, is that you've been shorting GameStop? <laughs> I that... am not a GameStop person. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not involved. But wow, is that fascinating or what? I mean, you talk about people taking advantage of a market condition you know, in an entrepreneurial way to kind of get, get, you know, benefit out of it. Yeah. You know, people are doing that and they're, they're taking advantage of kind of, um, you know, the rate of transformation, the way things are happening and doing different things and different business models. Maybe that's not the best example, but Hey, it's an example of people that are actually, you know, taking advantage of the transformation and the change and, you know, and making real things happen from it. So, yeah. So I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball because I, not just, you know, what you're what you've changed as a result of 2020 looking at the looking at the transformation efforts that sap is leading where do you see this ecosystem of yours over the next three to five years what is the impact of all this going to have going forward in terms of the new tools we're learning the new techniques we're learning how is the world going to look as a result of this so i think the ecosystem definitely looks different three to five years from now than it does, you know, now. Um, and you and I have had a lot of conversations about this, Larry, in terms of um, the role of ISVs and software partners and marketplaces and the way that, you know, we do business and business models and everything else. I think, you know, all of that becomes new and accelerated. I think for SAP, we're going to be bringing out a whole bunch of new partner types. Um, and I think, it's, you know, we're going to really be focused on those partners that are willing to go all in with us on that development of IP and different business models and, you know, different products. And, you know, as I said, specializing in their line of businesses, um, it's going to be a, a fascinating look three to five years from now. And it's going to be made up differently than it is today, for sure. Yeah. You know, Megan, there's so many things that I want to talk with you about. And it just means we're going to have to have you back because I want to talk with you about ISVs and how to enable extended channels and how to tap into marketplaces. But we're going to have to bring you back again because 
there's Thank so you. much Welcome we can back. work on. I, I do though, I, I do, and I'm gonna apologize up front and tell you that I'm going to subject you to our five questions. And so these right. are just five random questions. You know, there is no right answer, but we are keeping score. Okay, okay, I'm ready. Excellent, I'm glad to hear. All right, so let's get to our first question. Megan, what is more important to you, customer acquisition or customer retention? Customer retention. Why is that? Because I think, you know, once you have a customer, the customer experience and keeping them happy so they'll come back and buy again is extraordinarily important. You see, that is the right answer. Uh, question two, um, speaking of your son, what is Ashton's favorite book? Uh, good Night Moon. You know, that's a good oh, book, but we were looking for The Very Hungry Caterpillar. I'm sorry. Oh, shoot. I love that one. It bites all the way through the book. I remember that one fondly. Uh, next question is up. What's your go-to KPI? My go-to KPI. Well, that's a that's a tough question. I, you know, I have to say it's going to be pipeline and marketing influence pipeline for for our organization. Yeah. So you know what? We're going to have to talk about marketing influence in another time yep. too. That's a great topic to dig into. Yep. All right. Question four. Uh, what's your uh, go-to karaoke song? Oh, you know, it's got to be uh, Taylor Swift. You know, that one with all the words in it that you just say, God, what the hell is the name of that song? I don't know, but I'm really good at it. And it's exhausting by the end. It's just fantastic. You, you but know, in that's... Japan, you got to do it in Japan with the beer and the tambourines and the gold microphones, the whole setup. You know, that sounds great. Unfortunately, we were looking for Gangnam Style by Spy. So yeah, better luck next time. Last question. You know, what is the uh, best channel marketing advice you've ever received? Best channel marketing advice I've ever received uh, is focus on demand generation and pipeline and prove it with the numbers. Whatever money goes in, you got to prove what came out the other side. You know, you know I could, oh, speaking of money coming in, there's a customer calling, which means it's probably time for us to go. So I got to go get that call and get that customer acquired and retentioned. So you they come you see, you, you, got, you, you got your eye on the money. So Megan Sullivan, SAP, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been wonderful. We're going to have to have you back again soon. Oh, come back anytime, Larry. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. And thanks everyone for joining. Until next time, I'm Larry Walsh. Thank you for joining Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, a production of Channelnomics. Our executive producer is Layla Kaiser with the support of our production team at Modern Podcasting. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit the like button, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends. For more information about Channelnomics services and insights, follow us on Twitter and YouTube, and check out our website at channelnomics.com. Channelnomics is a registered trademark of, and Changing Channels is copyright by, 2112 Enterprises, LLC.